Holy and loving God, I ask that you touch my mind, touch my mouth, my lips, my tongue, that I might proclaim your good news. I pray, O oh God, that you would touch the meditations of my heart. Spirit, live in me today. Your humble servant, may your words be mine. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we have begun this new sermon series in which we are talking about our identity. And we're naming that Christianity is in this kind of identity crisis. Pastor Sheila started us off last week with a very good question. Has our brand been hijacked? Has our brand been hijacked? Now, what's our brand? The cross. The cross. When people see the cross, what comes to mind? Does the story of Jesus Christ's birth, life, ministry, sacrificial death and resurrection come flooding to the mind, or do they possibly think that's really pretty? It's a nice piece of jewelry. It's a beautiful decoration. I have all kinds of crosses, and they're all beautiful. When you're a pastor, people think you need them. <laughs> so I have all kinds of crosses on my wall. I have crosses in my office. I have crosses on my desk, and they're all beautiful. They're all a reminder, and they mean something to me. It's part of who I claim is my identity, that sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. And Pastor Sheila talked about that last week, who we are, to remember who we are in Christ. That that's where our identity comes from. But we live in a different generation today, right, church? What does the new generation think when they see the cross? What do people think when they hear the word Christian? Let me give you an example here. When we're in a conversation and we're meeting new people and we're kind of in that conversation for the first time, sometime along the conversation, usually it comes up, what do you do, right? What do you do? Society seems to put our identity around what we do as a profession, a, a vocation. That seems to be how we identify ourselves. And so it naturally comes into the conversation. Now, I've been in lots of events um, throughout the Society of St. Louis and, and the neighborhoods and community of St. Louis. And usually that comes into play whenever I'm meeting someone new. What do you do? That's before I pray at the event, they ask me this. And usually when that question comes, I usually think, ooh, this conversation's about to take a turn. <laughs> because I know there are reactions. There are reactions. And I usually get one of three reactions. I usually get, really? <laughs> or, really? Or, really? You see the difference? 
you know, the conversation changes at that point. They're either fascinated by it, they have questions about it, or they begin to give you excuses of why they haven't been to church in a year. <laughs> or why they left their old church, or even more sobering, I don't go to church. That usually comes from the really. There's a feeling about that that brings forth from the conversation. And maybe you've had one of those conversations. Maybe faith has come into play in one of your own conversations with someone that you just met, something that you believed, something that you were a part of, and faith kind of bubbled to the surface and you got a reaction. Yeah. Identifying ourselves as Christians should never be offensive to others. Amen? Amen. There should be nothing that's off-putting about being a Christian. And yet, we're experiencing it in today's society. How did this happen? How did we get here? How did the act of being a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower of the way, a disciple, become so off-putting to some? They've had a bad experience with the church. They've had a bad experience with someone they knew as a Christian. According to research done by David Kinnaman and the Barnum Group, only 34% of young outsiders, non-Christians, believe that Christians genuinely care about them. But among Christians, we say 64% would perceive them as genuine, said that outsiders would perceive, this, perceive us as genuine. Do you hear that difference? 34% of young outsiders believe that Christians, you know, don't care about us. And we think, 64% of us think that they do think that we care about them. Sometimes we have to step outside of ourselves and, and look at ourselves from the outside in. Our identity is not clear even within our own church. As Pastor Sheila said last week, in the Bible, we don't use the word Christian. In the Bible, the word disciples used. Over 300 times, in fact, the word disciple is used. They knew who they were. They knew what they were about. And there was nothing off-putting about being a disciple. And somewhere along the journey, we became known as Christians, and basically it means what it meant to, means for us today. Those who belong to, follow, relate to, imitate, who? Jesus Christ. We're Christians. So when we think of our identity, we have to start with who Christ is. Christ is our beginning, our middle, and our end, and Christ showed us the way. But if we're honest... If we're honest with ourselves, how do people know Jesus today? Through other people, right? 
That's how I got to know Jesus, through the people who loved and cared for me, who identified themselves as Jesus' followers, disciples, and they shared that with me. And today's society, we begin to find Christ by those who call themselves Christian, for those who do not know Christ. And since perception is reality, when people see us, they think that's who Jesus is. Think about that for a moment. Did you know that 40% of people who are not involved in church have a bad impression of Christians? We're known as judgmental, hypocritical, insensitive. Young people are turning away from Christianity in large numbers, more so than even before, and they even have a name for themselves. They are the nuns, not the habit-wearing nuns. The nuns meaning when asked to check a box of religious affiliation, they check none. It's sobering, isn't it? Now, I don't want you to go home thinking, wow, that pastor really inspired me today. Wow, she really spoke the joy today. We can look at this from two perspectives. We can accept the way things are and throw our hands up in the air, or we can look at an opportunity just like the early church did and do something about it, right? When Dr. Kerr was here, he would always talk about two shoes salesmen. You know, when he, you heard him tell this story if you've been here a, lo a long time at Salem. There were two shoe salesmen that went overseas and one was, had his shoes in his box, and, and he got over there, and he realized that no one wore shoes. The same for the second salesman. No one wore shoes. The first salesman calls and says, send me home. No one wears shoes here. The second one called home and said, bring me every shoe you can. No one wears shoes here. It's how we look at it. It's how we respond to it. The book of Acts tells us of the rapid growth the early church experienced. We can do this too. Hear this. All through Acts 2, 4, 5, and 6, this is what it says. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Many of the people who heard their message believed it. More and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. The believers rapidly multiplied, so God's message continued to spread. The numbers of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. You hear how the early church knew who they were, knew what they were about, and they were continuing to bring that to others, and it grew and it grew and it grew. How can we do this today? How can we share that good news today? Well, I think the first thing is what Pastor Sheila brought to the table last week. We have to remember whose we are. We are Christ Jesus, and, and so we have to remember who defines us. But then we also remember, have to remember what defines us. Our solution, our branding fix starts from within, not just the church, but within our own hearts and our own minds. Our identity crisis is happening 
internally. Within our own hearts, do you ever worry that you're not getting it right as a Christian? Do you ever have that worry or wonder, am I getting this right? Have you ever felt like no matter how hard you try, you don't measure up? Or maybe you've thought, well, I, I may not be as good as Mother Teresa, but I'm not as bad as you-know-who, right? Our identity has been compromised, church. Our identity has been compromised by a comparison game that is heightened by this world through social media, photos, and profiles. We feel inadequate, not only in comparison to the rest of the world, but even our own church family. We, we tend to compare ourselves to each other. You see, feelings of inadequacy tend to rise up in us when we see Christianity as rule-based. Where the goal is what I can do and what I can't do. Instead of whose we are and how we live that. If we're not careful, Christianity can be boiled down to nothing more than the golden rule, right and wrong, a class of how to be a good citizen, and follow the law. It becomes this rule-based system of morality. And when we do that, then that's when people see us jumping into that judgment of, a, of the other. We begin to believe we have to work to earn God's love and end up using our Christian legalism to exclude other people. You know, it's something that's been debated in Christianity for centuries. How do we convince people that good works do not earn God's love? How do we convince them of that? Scriptures say it. Ephesians chapter 2 says, You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something you did you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishments created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. The way we live our lives. How do we communicate? There's no checklist to get into God's good graces or to get into heaven. But how do we claim that unmerited gift? This gift of God's grace given to us. We don't need to be worrying about do we do the right thing or the wrong thing. We just need to remember whose we are and that we are God's loved. When I would do children's time for many years, um, when I was in McKinney, Texas, I would remind the children each time I did that, at the very close of the children's time, I would, I would remind them as they were walking off, remember, you are special. You are God's. To help them to claim that identity, to remember whose they were, to remember that they were this beloved child of God. You see, 
Romans, Paul tells us that we are free in the spirit, to live in that spirit. It says, so now there isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you, what? Free. Has set you free from the law of sin and death. What if we began to live this belief? That we were free to truly believe deep down in our bones that by being in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that we were free. Not bound by the law, not bound by the do's and the don'ts and, and whether or not I'm making my way to heaven. It's about God's grace and God's love poured out for us on that cross. Poured out for us. What if we became less concerned with the rules and became authentic? What if we became authentic followers, authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, claiming our identity for who we are and worrying so much about whether we got it right or wrong? We are gods. We are Christ Jesus. And we are to live in that. To live in that presence of Christ. The message, it's a paraphrase, translates Romans this way. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open into a spacious, free life. The law does not define us. There's a song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. That we are people of spirit and that we're to walk in that spirit. Paul talks about it in the letters to the Galatians. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things, Paul says. And if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Right? If we live in the Spirit, let us walk this way. Let us live this way. There's a pastor, his name is Francis Chan. And um, have you ever had a chance to, to listen to him or read one of his books? He says this, following Jesus is not about diligently keeping a set of rules or conjuring up the moral fortitude to lead good lives. It's about loving God and enjoying him. It's about loving God and enjoying him, enjoying that relationship that we have with God, that authentic relationship with the one who knows us, right? He knows everything about us. No need to live in some kind of false identity. He knows who we are. He knows everything about us. He, and he loves us the same. That's the grace part, right? My grace is sufficient, right? 
My grace is sufficient, he says. What if we lived like we believed that? That we lived out in this world and had that freedom and that peace and love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. What if we lived in that each and every day? What if we got up every morning and said, looked ourselves in the mirror and said, you are a child of God. You are loved. It's not about what you do and what you don't do, what you get accomplished, what you don't get accomplished, your vocation, none of that. That you are God's child. Go live that way, child. What if we said that to ourselves every morning in the mirror? What if our prayer was that, that we would live in that extravagant love and that we were going to reclaim our brand? Would people have a different opinion of Christians? Those who did not know Jesus Christ got to know the love and the joy and the peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. What would they think then when they saw a cross? What would they think then when they heard the word Christian? There's nothing more powerful than our brand when people see the unconditional extravagant, sacrificial love of the disciples of Jesus Christ. Nothing more powerful than that. Because when they see that, that is Christ living in you and I was in a conversation um, last night with a friend and she said there was nothing more terrifying than when she realized that she had a cross bumper sticker on the back of her car and she realized that people who were non-Christians might know Jesus through her driving. <laughs> you are Christ's representatives. When we claim our identity, we live in that spirit. And it is our responsibility as followers to live that way. To share that love and joy with others. To help people see Jesus. Right, church? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.